I'm Nick, and the mic sure is on. <laughs> now I'm Joe, and yes, yes it is. <laughs> and this is that scary as fuck. We, we started recording with our mic muted, which I'm okay with. <laughs> God dang it. Oh it's fine, my we're gosh. doing great. Oh my goodness. Anyways, welcome back everyone, and welcome if this is your first time. Yes, this is episode two. If you haven't listened to the last one, please go listen doesn't matter if you listen in order or anything like that. Yeah, but just listen after this. Exactly. Yeah. Just listen after this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but in all seriousness, with uh, some feedback we got, we are going to try a little something else to uh, start this show out. So, baby, I want to get you warmed up with just a creepy question. Okay. All right? Okay. What was your first paranormal experience? Like, you don't have to have a whole story about it. Maybe just a little quick blurb of, like, what happened. And if anyone has questions, they can write in about them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my very first paranormal experience was when I was in second grade. Can I cut you off for a second? Yes. There are going to be stories, for those of you wondering, we're just starting off a little different. Yes. So we do still have our stories after this. Yes. Okay. We're going to start the episodes now with just like a creepy story if you or not a creepy story but a creepy question so if you guys have a question for us you can also email those in and we will answer them for you and we're just kind of getting warmed up our last episode wasn't super duper long so we're trying to make them a little bit longer yeah yeah all right anyways continue yes second grade i was up in my room and um my mom was downstairs I think everybody was home, but I was the only one down, or I was the only one upstairs in my room, and my great-grandma came and talked to me. Huh. Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah. Um, my first that I can remember is I was in middle school, and I was homesick for the day, and I was just laying down sleeping, and I felt someone sit down and, like, rub my back and stuff, and I was relaxing, and then I looked up, because I thought, you know, like, maybe my grandma or my mom or someone had come home early. Nope, there's an indention on my bed with no one there. No, thank you. Yeah, I was not a fan. But, now the question everybody's waiting to hear. Joe, what are your two stories? Or how many stories do you have, I should say? I have two stories. One of them kind of goes into your territory a little bit, and it's one off of Reddit. But then I also did the Las Cruces Bowling Alley Massacre. And I did the research for that. And so I'm going to be talking about that first. And then I'll have the story afterwards. Heck yeah. Um, my two stories, doing a little different source today, they are uh, coming straight out of my brain. Uh, I wrote, I guess you could say, both these stories. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if they're good, bad, horrible, terrible, and never want me to do this again, please let us know. Don't tell us if you never want us to do this uh, again. Keep it to yourself. If you don't want us to do this again, then find another pod. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, find your people. But the first story is called The Inn's Keeper. And the second one is called It's Outside the Tent. Ooh, okay. Yes. Well, since we both have two, do you want to go first or do you want me to go Um, first? I believe I went first last week, didn't I? Yeah. So you can go first this week. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to start us out with the Las Cruces Bowling Alley Massacre. My sources are Crime Junkie Podcast. That was my main one. And then ktsm.com and the Albuquerque Journal. And then a few other sources that were basically just fact-checking for me. It scares me more having, like, factual sources like newspapers and stuff involved with things like this. I know yours is more, like, solid evidence, but it's still, like, it's creepy to hear, like, 
you know, like you said, the Washington Post or something has a story on it versus like reddit.com slash scary forward slash X forward slash, you know what I mean? Exactly. So. Like it's, it's way more real and it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm right there with you. When it's yeah. more real, it's more real. You know what I mean? And it mm-hmm. doesn't make me exactly feel okay. good about it. But. Sorry, I'm trying to avoid it because murders and massacres terrify me. So Yeah, I don't blame you. Go ahead. I'm ready. Yeah, well, I'm ready. This, one, this one's honestly kind of terrifying because it's still unsolved. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. So two unsolved stories for starting out. I don't normally like unsolved stories, but they get my brain going. Yeah, they give give you a chance to think like what I we I uh it just thinking about the massacre though, sorry, I was like in the middle of a thought, then I just yeah. thought of it again. Ugh. Yeah. Anyways. Yep. Continue. So this story starts on Saturday morning, February tenth, nineteen ninety. And Stephanie Sinek, the manager of the bowling alley, was there before opening with her daughter, Melissa Repass, who was 12 years old, and her friend, Amy Hauser, who was 13, who also worked at the daycare that was at the bowling alley as well. The snack chef, Ida Hogan, who was 33, was also in the kitchen preparing for the day. Um, Melissa and Amy were just hanging out while Stephanie and Ida were working, and around 8 a.m. to 8.20 a.m., Steve Sinak, which is Stephanie's brother, showed up and noticed a few different things. One, that the front doors were unlocked, even though they were usually locked before the the bowling alley opened, just to deter anybody from walking in. Mm -hmm. The next thing he noticed was two men in the far end of the parking lot were walking towards the bowling alley, and when Steve was looking at them, he saw obviously the two men one of them were older one of them were younger the older man was a little bit heavier set okay and he noticed the older man handed the younger one a briefcase we get no other information about the briefcase it's just a briefcase all right and um so steve goes inside he tells his sister hey make sure you lock the doors behind me especially after like after he leaves just because they were unlocked he did make sure to tell her So after he leaves, the girls get a little bit hungry, both Melissa and Amy. And so they go and they ask Ida, the chef, to make them something. And Ida says no, because they were going to be busy as soon as they opened, because they had a bunch of Little League bowling tournaments that were going to be going on that day. Mm -hmm. And so they were going to be busy from the very moment they opened. And this was going to be the only slow part of their day. And so Ida tells them to go get some change from Stephanie, who was still in the office. And the girls did. And then they headed to the vending machines towards the front of the building. And when they got close enough, they saw two men standing next to the machine. Okay. The two like the same two men or two different? Okay. We're assuming, since it's unsolved, we're not sure. Okay. But that is a little bit later. I'll explain a little bit more about that. Okay, cool. So the two men grab the girls, walk them to the office. They find Stephanie. At this point, one of the men was telling the three of them, Melissa, Amy, and Stephanie, to get down on the ground. And then the other one went and found Ida. Then all four of them were on the ground, and they heard the bowling alley mechanic, Steve Turan, walk in. Unfortunately, Turan had brought his girls there that morning, Little Valerie Turan, who was two years old, and Paula Holgan, who was six. Oh, man. And there was no relation between Ida Holgan and Paula Holgan. It was just a thing. It was kind of like the Smiths. Okay. Um, He brought him along because his child care had fallen through and was going 
to bring them to the daycare at his work instead. The men immediately brought them into the office as well, forced them on the ground, and when they were on the ground, the men grabbed only like $5,000 from the safe, and it wasn't because there wasn't any more money there. That's just what they grabbed. Oh, so that's, okay. that's so, the first thing that's strange about this story. So money's not the object here. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And um, then right before they start to leave, they have everybody get on their knees and start shooting them ex- execution style in the head. Oh, God damn. Kids too? Kids too. Oh, shit. The men then started a fire with the papers on the desk with the intention of burning the evidence and then left. Melissa, who was 12, mind you. Mm-hmm. Who had been shot in the head multiple times makes a call to 911 oh, shit. at 8.33 in the morning. Tough-ass kid. Right? And if anybody wants to listen to the audio clip for that, you can. More than welcome to. I'm not going to add it in just because it, honestly, for me, it was a little bit hard to listen to because I have so many nieces and nephews and we also have a kid ourselves. Yeah. And so it's just hard to listen to because during the whole thing she was like i just want my mom my head hurts this is so like she didn't physically say this is so scary but you can tell like in her voice she is petrified yeah so um melissa calls the operator was really nice and patient with melissa while trying to get the information from her like I said previously, Melissa was extremely calm during the whole thing for being shot in the head. She's still upset, but is able to answer direct questions and tells them exactly where they're located. Melissa literally gives them the address of the bowling alley. Oh my god! The whole address. Dude, props to that kid. Please tell me she made it. Yes. Shout out to Melissa. Yeah, Melissa makes it. Yes. Um. So then. The Melissa also gave them directions on how to get to the office once the officers got inside. Dispatch stayed on the phone with her until the officers get there. And in the 911 call, you can hear the officers in the background saying like, you know, this is the police. Go ahead and come on out because there's smoke, there's flames, there's everything. They're just trying to get everybody out. So um, once the officers got there, Steve Turan... Amy and Paula. So Steve Tran was 33, I mm-hmm. believe. Amy was the uh, friend who was 13. And Paula was the six-year-old daughter of okay. Steve Tran. Mm-hmm. They were all three declared dead on scene. Damn. And then the two-year-old, little Valerie, survived for about 45 minutes after she got to the hospital before succumbing to her injuries Damn. and also passed away. And while nobody else died that day, Stephanie, the manager, and the mom of Melissa ended up dying a few years later due to health complications from the shooting as well. Damn. So, the town was in shock because before all of this, it was a seemingly quiet town. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't have any shootings. They didn't have crime. They didn't... Any of this. This is the first major thing that they had in a long time. Yeah. So, um... They, it took them six hours to get roadblocks on all of the road, roads going in and out of the town. And it was finished, and they got the last one put down around 2.30 p.m. Now, when it comes to solving the case, like I said, it's unsolved to this day. Okay. But all we do have is hearsay. Nothing is concrete enough to make a case because all of the evidence was burned 
and the fire in the office. Yeah, yeah. So the police were there. They were trying to get eyewitnesses and everything like that. They did get one. I didn't get his last name, but his first name is Albert. He heard six and six or seven shots, but didn't see anything suspicious. Uh, he didn't think anything of it until there were emergency can, vehicles around. Can I cut in? Yeah. I know this is like a freaky story, but when you said old dude's name, the first thing that popped into my head was, hey, 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 it's Fat Albert, and I'm going to sing a song for you. Nope, not doing that? All right. Back to the massacre. We're, we're, we're just talking about kids dying, right? Yeah. All right, back to that. Yeah, unfortunately, all of... Except for Melissa, she was the only one that didn't pass away, which is so, so sad. Yes. And also, I will say, nobody knew what was going on either. Okay. Because the police didn't release any names. Mm-hmm. And so the wife of Steve Turan had no idea whether him or her kids had survived. F that. Fuck that. They knew that people had passed away, but they weren't sure who it was. And so... The wife was just trying to get information. Multiple people called the bowling alley trying to figure out what was going on. Obviously, nobody answered because nobody was there to answer. Mm -hmm. And um, they didn't end up releasing identities until more so after the fact. But I think the thing that really gets me the most about this story is literally a whole family was taken out. Yeah. Because Steve Turan and his two daughters passed away. And now the wife is a widow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think when she like pulled up to the crime scene to try and get answers, like she's like, what's going on? Who died? Who died? And the cop just like walks up to her minivan and takes like the dad and two kids off the thing. Okay. <laughs> it's like, you won't be needing those anymore. <laughs> no, I don't think this was back in the 1990s. They didn't have those yet. Okay. Are you sure? Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. All right. <laughs> it's awful. Do you think? Do you think then he just, like, rolled down the window and popped off that baby on board sign then? Or... Um, okay, I'm done. I'm done now. Continue. Listen, we gotta have the comedic relief in there sometimes. <laughs> I know. That was rough. It really was. So, Stephen, the brother, his description of the two men ended up being crucial to the investigation because in the 911 call, the operator did ask Melissa what the two men looked like. But we also got to understand, they're in a bowling alley. Bowling alleys are dark and dim anyways. And so Melissa said that both men were black. Okay. But the brother, who had stopped by that morning, um, said that they were Hispanic-looking men. Okay. Right. So, and um, a little while later, Melissa did recant her statement and said that it was dark in the bowling alley, and so she wasn't that sure about it. Okay. So they ended up just going with Steven's description of them. All right. Makes sense. Also, quick question about Steven. Yeah. So he didn't stay at the bowling alley. Was he just, no. like, dropping something off and then I ducking or something? I think he was picking something up. Okay. I think he had forgotten something at the bowling alley, and he was going to pick it up that morning before he had to go to okay. his job. Because I don't know what, like, even though you hadn't mentioned his name in the deceased, in my head this whole time he was one of them. So oh, when yeah. you said his testimony was crucial, I, was, I just needed to know. Yeah. All right. Well, and Steve and Steven, I even had to go back in my research yeah. and double check that they weren't the same person. Mm-hmm. But it helped once I also got the last names again. Okay. Um. So the brother wasn't there during the shooting, but the bowling alley mechanic was. Okay, and I'm following that. That's the Stephen that was there. So, um, 
even 33 years later and all of the technology and everything that we have still unsolved, which I find absolutely devastating. And, um, now we're going to, since it's unsolved, there isn't a whole lot into the investigation that I can go into, but we can go into some of the things that they think Please. might be happening. Yes, I need some answers. Yes. So, everybody probably is wondering, where where's the owner? Ron, who is the owner, was also the father of Stephanie. Okay. Yep. It was, it was like a family thing. Oh, okay. It wasn't like boss hooked up with an employee and then... Right. It wasn't okay. like that. It was a family-owned bowling alley. Stephanie was the manager. Ron was the owner. And then they had another brother that was a bartender there. Okay. I can't remember his name, but he is involved in one of, like, the conspiracy theories around it. Okay. Um, so, Ron was in Arizona at the time of the shooting, quickly returns home. But when he returns home, he's acting very strange about the whole thing. He ends up opening the uh, alley back up six days later. Days? Six days. His daughter and granddaughter are still in the hospital. Jesus. And he opens the bowling alley back up. So that is the first suspicious thing about it. And then one of the things that he said for his reasoning of opening up the alley was life is for the living or life is for living. Sorry. He didn't have the in there. Life is for living was his reasoning. So the media starts asking Ron a bunch of questions. One of them being why was Amy, who was only 13 years old working at the bowling alley in the first place. Cause you know, child labor laws. Yeah. And I get it. They have to look into every little aspect of it, but even when I was a kid, I wanted to help out in whatever business. Like, my yeah. mom worked at a gas station and she was a manager there. And I would help her mop the floors and stuff. Yeah. Granted, I didn't get paid under the table for it. But I would have liked to. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> but um, he basically was like, there's no record of her being an employee here. Of course, I'm not going to employ a 13-year-old here. That she was just here. Like, she was friends with Melissa. That's why she was here. And as... Looking at everything, robbery seemed to be the only thing that did make sense. But the police were getting frustrated because if it was just a robbery, why wasn't there more evidence? Yeah. Yeah. And why didn't they take more money? Exactly. Because they still left money there. That's so weird. So, um, this case went unsolved for one a month or so. And then it got so big, though, that the show Unsolved Mysteries showed up a month or so after the incident to do an episode on it. Also, Unsolved Mysteries after only a month? Yeah. Like, come on. Come well, on. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta think about it, though. It was a massacre. No, I... Seven people. I get it, but I feel like... I thought Unsolved Mysteries usually, like, a few years after. Yeah. But, but just the, like, brutality of it all is the reason I that guess. brought them to the, to okay, the small that's town. that's fair. Yeah. Um, by June, the police admitted the fact that while Unsolved Mysteries did bump the, um, the whatchamacallit? The, oh my gosh, now that it's a skippy, uh, the, fuck it, skip it, skip the word. It's fine. It, it did. Popularity? Yes, thank okay. you. It bumped up popularity of the case, but it did n almost nothing for the investigation. Notoriety is the word you were looking for. Thank you. I was looking for notoriety. Notoriety. Um, and then what's strange, another thing about Ron, was on January 4th, 1991, 
the bowling alley was sold at auction because Ron was bankrupt and had a shit ton of debt. So what was that life insurance looking like on those people that died? Well, it's not, people aren't looking necessarily for the life insurance, but they're like, okay, so if he was in this much debt, Mm -hmm. maybe it was somebody to come, quote unquote, break his knees and get their money back. And that would also make sense why they only took $5,000. Yeah. Okay. Um, Once this comes to light, everybody thinks that it's because he stopped paying on the alley, which ended up being foreclosed on. Um, And then when that did come to light, Ron tried telling the press he was like listen i had nothing to do with this i was cooperative with the police i went in every day and all of this and that but when they went to the police station to see if that was correct he had lied about it oh the police had to call him in and he even would take multiple days to come in oh yeah so and then back to the brother who was a bartender there Mm -hmm. um he was in drugs as well okay it was never said whether or not he was dealing drugs at the bowling alley or anything like that but everybody knew that he himself did them okay i want to say i want to say that it was meth but i could be wrong i didn't write that part down um but so they were thinking that maybe the brother got mixed up in some bad stuff and brought it to the bowling alley as well and that's the reason why they were there. It was like a drug deal gone bad and then got revenge for it. Something like that. But ultimately, there, there's nothing. Wow. Absolutely nothing. Like, oh my gosh. I have so many questions. And I feel like all of them can be answered by answering one simple fucking question. Yeah. What the, the fuck, fuck was in the briefcase? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I feel like, because who did it was one of my questions. But I feel like if we could get a hold of the briefcase, we could find out. That is true, but I also feel like the briefcase was a way to bring in the guns unnoticed. Yeah, but also, like, fingerprints and stuff you could lift from the briefcase. Exactly. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, in the little girl's defense, saying they were black instead of Hispanic, she had just gotten shot in the head. Exactly. And I'm black, and I'm confused for Hispanic all the time. That is true. So. <laughs> so. I did think you were Puerto Rican the first time we met. Did. <laughs> No, <laughs> I'm black. Holy cow. Is that it? Yeah. Is that, that's it. all we got on it? That's all we got. Shout out Melissa. Yep. Shout out Melissa. She is the bravest 12 year old in the world. That's absolutely bravest. Oh my gosh. I don't even, I'm at a loss for words, honestly. Yeah. I, I'll have to, after we get done recording, I'll have to show you the clip. But yes. it's. Hard, it's heart- heartbreaking. Okay. It's heartbreaking because all the all she thinks is everybody is passed out behind, beside her. She doesn't realize that she's surrounded by three dead bodies and then three other bodies that are yeah. injured but still alive. I would really like to hear some of those other conspiracies. Um, I know we don't have them ready for us now, but if you guys want to hear that too, please let us know and Joe can maybe make a part two to this story with just the conspiracy aspect if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's totally fine with me. Yeah. The main two that I saw were just the dad and the the uh, son. Mm-hmm. The drugs for the son and then the dad just being bankrupt and being involved in the wrong people, but I can definitely do a deep dive on it. Okay, we could also come up with our own theory too. True. Anyways, I believe it's my turn, isn't it? It is. Alright, so this story... Is called the innkeeper. Yes. 
Storytelling voice. Storytelling voice. My boyfriend Mark and I were going on a nice holiday in Europe. We were just traveling from country to country, and then in our last week, we decided to stay at a nice, cutesy little inn in the UK that we found on Verbo. Well, normally at a Verbo, you don't have a host, because that's more of an Airbnb thing. The whole thing with a Verbo is you stay by yourself. Well, we get there, the house looks a little different than the picture. It's a beautiful old Victorian house, about two main stories, then you have like a third that's, you know, just kind of like the points at the top or whatever, so not really like living space, but more like maybe a room space or something like that. Yeah, like an attic kind of thing. Um, beautiful polished wood, honestly looked like a freshly built Victorian house. Hmm. We go up, we knock on the door, and this real sweet old lady answers. She goes, yes, hello? Like, hi, my name's Jerry, and this is my boyfriend, Mark. Um, we are the ones that uh, requested the Verbo. I, I wasn't aware there'd be a host. Oh, yeah, I cleared it with the website. Come on in. So we go in. She shuts the door behind him and goes, well, what, what do you, brings you guys here, business or pleasure? Jerry and I could tell she was trying her best. She had a plate of cookies set out. She was a little hunchback, her hands shaking a little bit. The ultimate grandma. Exactly. We told her, like, oh, we're just wanted to go around Europe. We're from America, so we just wanted to kind of see the sights over here. She goes, oh, well, you guys go upstairs, make yourself at home. You guys have the pink roof or room. And they're like, oh, well, thank you. So we go upstairs, we start getting our stuff, and we notice an amazing smell coming through the house. So we come back downstairs, and she's made us dinner. She has three pots going, she has plates set, she has a bottle of wine in the middle. And she goes, it's been so long since I've had visitors. I just wanted you guys to have a lovely time. Alright, pause. I don't fucking like where this is going, because I get the heartwarming already, and I mm -hmm. know that this isn't going to end <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> listen. Fuck. But... We sit down, we had planned to go out for dinner, but we figured, since she made such a lovely dinner, like, why not just stay in for the night? Relax, we'll eat, we'll talk to our host. So we sit there, we ended up having a lovely dinner. Three course, she had some nice salads as an appetizer, we had steak with potatoes, and she calls them chips, we call them fries, but they were really, really good. Then at the end, she hit us with some of her homemade, uh, what do you call it? Not a pie, but the square pie. Oh, a casserole? No, not a casserole. A square pie. A square pie. Whatever. I'll remember later. <laughs> but after eating, we decided just to go back upstairs. Went in our room. It's a little cold, colder than we remember. Laid down. Some weird creaks. But I mean, it's a Victorian house. Like, just because she upkeeps it doesn't mean it's a new house. So don't think nothing of it. And just go to bed. We wake up the next day. Well, we thought it was the next day. It turns out we had slept the whole next day. So we wake up. We go down. We see her. We just call her Miss M now. She's so sweet. She told us not to worry about her name. Just call her Miss M. That's what everyone calls her. So we come down. We're like, hey, Miss M. Sorry. We weren't ignoring you yesterday. We just slept. She goes, oh, that's fine. I did knock to check on you, but you didn't answer. She just, I just assumed you were sleeping. I made some breakfast for you. It's in the kitchen. Like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. So Jerry and I, we go, we sit down, we're eating some breakfast. We thank her, we go back upstairs while she's dusting the living room and all that. We get dressed because we have plans to go out today. We come back downstairs, we go, all right, Miss Sam, we're going to head out for the day, we'll be back later. 
and she stands up straighter than I'd ever seen her stand before. Looks at us and goes, well, there's no need to leave. I, I, I can entertain you guys here. Like, oh no, it's okay. We'll be back later. Don't worry about it. We don't want to inconvenience you. I, really, we had other plans to do today. And she starts making her way towards us going, no, really, it's, it's not an inconvenience. You can stay here. Now, Jerry is starting to get a little frustrated. He's a little more hot-headed than I. He goes, listen, Miss M, we appreciate your kindness, but we have plans. We lost a whole day because we overslept. We would really like to go do these things. And I go, Jerry, just kind of jab him because, you know, she's been so sweet to us. Don't be rude like that. And he, go, he whispers, he goes, Mike, we are supposed to be doing things right now. Well, in the time it took us to have that little conversation, we realized Miss M is now in front of the doorway. And she's just standing there kind of blocking it like you try to block your kid from going out. She goes, no, you guys can stay in here. It's okay. And so Jerry takes a step forward. He goes, Miss M, please don't make me move you. We would really like to go. And Miss M takes a step towards Jerry and goes, I would really like you to stay. So Jerry tries to move her. And suddenly Miss, Miss M is heavier than any old woman he's ever tried to move. Jerry starts to get a little nervous. He looks back at me and mouths, what the fuck? And then we look at Miss M. And she's smiling, the creepiest smile we'd ever seen. And goes, I told you guys that you need to stay. We're like, what the fuck? As soon as her voice changed, her body started morphing. She shot up three feet. She has this big, black, hulking figure covering the doorway, red glowing eyes, saying, I haven't had guests in a while. Now you get to stay with me forever. Jerry screamed. We tried to run out the door, but... It was bolted. We can't get out the door. We scream. She's grabbing us. She's getting closer and closer. She goes, come here. I want new guests. Jerry freaks out and just throws a chair out the window and we jump out. We roll on a rotted wraparound porch. We look up to see the window that Jerry just threw a chair out isn't the only broken window. We look at the door that was just bolted. It's barely hanging on to its hinges. Shingles are, are all over the ground. There's this yellow thing blowing in the tape. What? What is that? Jerry gets up to read, and he freezes. He looks back at me and goes, it says crime scene. Do not cross. We look around. Our car is gone. We're not in the same town we were in before. We don't recognize where we are. And miss him? No sight of her. The end. No, thank you. Thoughts? Concerns? I knew that fucking old bitch was something evil. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's kind of rough for my first story, but... No, it's not. It was good. Thank you. Really good. I don't really have much else. I guess my stories are pretty open and close. They really are. I think that's why I also do some of the unsolved ones <laughs> right now, just because they have so much that we can talk about. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Okay, so my next story is called The Hotel at Lake Tahoe. Okay. I'm assuming it's about, like, I don't know, a motel at Salt Lake City? Sure. I don't know. What? I haven't read this in a while. <laughs> yeah, we're going for it. Um, got it off of Reddit, and it was posted by Kessel the Viking. Okay. I was told not to tell anyone about this, but it's been years since it happened, so I think it should be okay now. A long time ago, when I was in middle school, my family and I went on a vacation. We flew to California and then rented a car to drive north to Lake Tahoe. They're in California, just so you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, 
Yeah. I, I, I was making... Okay. Anyways, continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we came in at night, so there wasn't much to see. And for the most part, I slept. When we finally reached the hotel we would be staying at, I was surprised that there was snow on the ground. It was nearly summer. My stepdad had told me that we were actually in the mountains and that there was a glacier nearby. I thought it was really interesting, but I couldn't see any of it since it was night. We brought everything inside, spoke to the receptionist. He seemed apprehensive, perhaps worried, like he was waiting for some kind of imminent disaster. My mother gave him some information he requested and handed her the room, the key to our room. He pointed to his right and said, walk forward to the corridor, take a left, and follow it all the way to the end. My stepdad thanked him, and we proceeded to carry our belongings to our room. I remember the receptionist stared intensely at me as I walked by, and it did make me feel a little bit uneasy. Our room was more like an apartment opposed to a, in a hotel room. It had three bedrooms, and to someone as young as I was, it might have well been a, pl- a palace. I still had to share with my a room with my brother, though. My sister got one for herself, and by the time we got ourselves all settled in, it was time for bed. So we all went to our rooms, laid down, and tried to sleep. I fell asleep quickly, but one thing did seem to linger in my mind. Why was our vehicle the only one in the parking lot? That following morning, we were supposed to go to breakfast at Denny's in town. As a kids often do, my siblings and I decided to go explore the hotel while our parents got ready. I remember my mom saying, don't go too far and we'll call your names and you better be here right away. Obviously, we all agreed. Well, anyway, we ran out into the hall and I noticed the immediately immediate lack of people, of sound even. Lack of people of sound even. That was written weirdly. Anyways. <laughs> the corridor was so incredibly quiet, despite our obnoxious footsteps and playful laughter, it really made me feel like we were the only ones staying there. As we crossed the corridor that connected to the main entry hall to the rooms, I saw that there wasn't a receptionist. My brother made the typical mischievous suggestion of snooping behind the reception desk, but I told him that it would be boring and we should just continue down the opposite hallway across the corridor. He agreed. I was older anyways, so I think that played a factor. My brother and I, my brother's sister and I trapezed down the hallway without a care in the world. Soon, we turned a corner, and it revealed another shorter hallway with a pair of double doors at the end. You know how it is, that a, as a kid, a door might as well be a portal to a fantasy land, and these doors were no different. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about what might be on the other side, and my siblings never questioned my decision to venture forth. Much to my surprise, the doors opened to a large courtyard. It was square with a glistening fountain in the middle and well-trimmed hedges lining the hotel walls. On the other side of the courtyard was a single door that was covered in some sort of ivy. It appeared to have not been used for some time. The three of us let our curiosity get the better of us in our young minds, and as we began to explore the courtyard, the place seemed straight out of a fairy tale because birds bathed in the fountain and butterflies fluttered about, making it feel like paradise. Even as a kid, I could appreciate the odd splendor but I was so focused on the scenery that I failed to notice my brother trying to open the overgrown door. I ran over to him just as he was attempting to turn the handle. I could see he was struggling because the vines were wrapped around the knob and it was likely the door was rusted shut. That thought must have never crossed his mind, nor the thought of why the door had been abandoned to time in the first place. I grabbed his wrist and yanked it away from the knob. That hurts, 
he said with the moment my hand touched him. We shouldn't go in there, I said quietly. I hadn't noticed until actually standing next to the door, but it felt unwelcoming. I was just seeing if it opened, he protested while rubbing his wrist. He had an air for the dramatics. No, I don't want us to get in trouble. We should just go back now anyways. He stared at the door and then at me and said, I guess, but I still want to know what's on the other side. My sister suddenly chimed in from behind us and said, maybe we can tell mom about it. I don't think she should. We should. She would probably just yell about being where we shouldn't be. Besides, maybe it's closed for a reason. Yeah, maybe, my brother said softly. Let's go back. He says, okay, very quickly. I hope we're not in trouble, added my sister subtly. Me too, I said while beginning to walk back to the door which we came through. My siblings followed and I opened the door for them and let them through first. As I began to re-enter the hotel hallway, I took one last glance at the forgotten door. Maybe it was just my mind playing tricks on me or some weird reflection, but I could have sworn I saw a face in the window next to the door. It was faint, but scary. For lack of better words, it's a kid. Hmm. Kids! The rage voice the rage-filled voice of my mother flooded the hallway. It sounded like she had already been calling for us for a while. I turned my head to face the hallway and slowly let the door close behind me. I looked at the window one more time before closing the door entirely and found that nothing was in the glass. At the time, I figured it was just my imagination. My mother was furious, and understandably so. Apparently, she had been looking all over for us. We told her that where we were, and she asked to see the courtyard. My brother and sister went back to our room, and I led my mother to the door at the opposite end of the hallway. When she saw it, she tried going out into the courtyard, but the receptionist, the one from the night before, suddenly appeared and scared the shit out of me. No! He shouted while putting himself between the door and us. You cannot go out there. Why not? We pay for the facilities here, asked my mother, because it's dangerous and off limits by the owner. You didn't go out there, did you? He asked while staring directly at me. No, I said quickly. I didn't want to get my mom or stepdad in trouble for not keeping us on a short leash. The receptionist sighed heavily and said, Good. Now, I'm sure you have plans for the day, yes? Forget about this door and go about your business, please. My mother scowled but nodded her head and said, Fine. She grabbed my arm and pulled me back down the hallway towards our room. We received the p typical parental, parental scolding. The whole, what if somebody stole you? Or if you got hurt, how would we know? Both were valid, but it didn't make the verbal reprimand any easier to swallow. Mm -hmm. After they were done, we went to breakfast. I got two eggs over easy, which ended up being a bit too runny for me, and a few slices of bacon as well as some sausage and hash browns. A large feast, but a delicious one. Once everyone had finished eating, my parents paid and we left. The rest of the day was filled with various activities like souvenir shopping and visiting one of the beaches. The water was ice cold. When we went back to the hotel and ordered pizza, it was a true ex vacation experience. But that night, something strange happened. After we were told to go to bed, I found myself unable to sleep. I kept tossing and turning, thinking about the courtyard. Something about it just fascinated me. Like, if it wasn't meant for guests at the hotel, then why were they still maintaining the fountain and the hedges? Yeah. While I was lost in thought, I heard a scratching sound in the wall next to my bed. At that time, I had already lived in a house with a mouse problem, so I figured the hotel had them too. But the sound only got louder. 
Instead of light scraping, it sounded like someone drastically clawing to get out. I couldn't imagine the damage one would do to their fingers by doing such a thing, but it's all I could equate it to. I wanted to just ignore it, but it was impossible. So I hit the wall, and the wall thumped back. Oh, fuck that. I immediately jumped out of bed and stood at the ready. My brother had somehow remained asleep and didn't seem like my parents had heard any of it either. After whatever was on the other side of the wall responded, it became silent. I thought, maybe I'm just really tired and that this was just a a walking nightmare. But that was just wishful, wishful thinking. For as I was standing there next to my bed, I watched as the panel of the wall slowly creeped open. I yelled instantly and the panel slammed shut. It was truly terrifying. My mother rushed into the room, flipped on the light with an angry look across her face. I could only point my finger at the wall. And when she asked what was wrong, I told her exactly what happened. She didn't believe me though. And to add insult to injury, for whatever reason, there wasn't any noticeable sign of a panel ever existing in the wall. What? But I know what I saw. The next day, I got a stern talking to about how we're trying to enjoy this time together, but as a kid, I had very little in the way of vocal defense. I had just had to accept that what was being said, even though from the event from the previous night had caused me to lose all sleep, which meant to me that it was more than a dream. We all had breakfast and went to go see the giant sequoias. Yeah, sequoias. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you hadn't haven't seen the redwood, oh, there you go, we're buddy. going to see the redwoods. <laughs> I've never seen the redwoods. <laughs> Sorry. If you haven't seen the redwoods, it's truly a sight to behold. We even saw a bear while taking the bus ride to see the trees. While we were out walking, my brother and sister both asked me about the night before. I told them, and obviously it scared them so much, in fact, that they ran to our parents and said they didn't want to stay at the hotel anymore. My mother was angry with me, like it was my fault. I told them the truth. What else was I going to say? Anyway, she was mad and I was confused. This continued until we arrived back at the hotel later that day when we were greeted by the receptionist upon walking in. I shouldn't say greeted because he was actually standing in our way. Can I help you? asked my mother with an annoyed tone. Yes, excuse me. Uh, We received a complaint about knocking coming from your room last night. We had new guests arrive quite late and their sleep was interrupted by whatever racket you were creating. Please do refrain from waking the other guests. My son was having a nightmare. I apologize, said my mother solemnly as if her entire personality had been deflated. The receptionist quickly nodded. Yes, well, nothing to be scared of here. And then he smiled at me, and I noticed two of his teeth were black. I returned his smile with an uncertain grin. There was an awkward silence before he walked away, and we walked back to our room. My mom and stepdad went into the room, presumably to argue, and our kids were, us kids, were left in the living room, and there was a cable there. Wow, I am not doing great on talking today. (laughs) There was cable at the hotel, and we found some cartoons to watch while we waited for our parents to reemerge from the room. Quite some time had passed, and they still hadn't come out. I started to fall asleep on the couch and was about to push my brother off of it so I could lay down when suddenly a knock came from the room door. It was a soft knock, not one from an adult. I looked at my brother and sister, and they both stared at the door. Our parents didn't come out to answer it, so I took initiative. 
I was approaching, as I was approaching, more knocks came. They didn't sound frantic, but more friendly? Anyway, I, once I reached the door, I slowly turned the knob and opened it. There stood, about the same height as me, was another boy, and who I presumed was his little sister. He was smiling, and I looked happy to be seeing someone roughly his own age. Hello, he said with excited wide eyes. My name is Elias, and this is my sister, Ashlyn. He pointed to the visibly shy girl next to him. Hello, uh, wh what do you want? I asked quietly. We just wondered if you wanted to play with us. Our parents said we could ask after we saw you coming in from our room window. Elias seemed overly excited. My brother appeared over my shoulder and whispered, Who is it? I turned to him and said, Some kids from another room. What do they want? He asked, eyeing them sus suspiciously. They want to play. Are we going to? Mom will be mad if we leave without saying anything. Elias must have overheard me because he chimed in. Oh, no, don't worry about that. Our parents said they're going to be coming over and introducing themselves, so we can play while they're doing that. Oh, I said sharply. Well? Asked Elias while smiling expectedly. My sister appeared on the opposite side of me. What's happening? She asked calmly. I guess we're going to play with Elias and his sister. Their family just got there, and their parents said that they could play with us if we wanted. Hi, Elias, my sister said from over my shoulder. Hello, this is my sister Ashlyn. Maybe you two could talk to each other? Sure, said my sister with a hint of uncertainty. You're sure your parents are going to come over? I asked curiously. I know all this sounds like one of those what-are-you-doing situations, but you have to remember I was really young. Yep, they said they would. They would. So come on, Elias gestured his hand into the hallway. I cautiously stepped out of the room and followed my followed by my brother and sister. Elias began leading us down the hall and across the corridor that led to the hotel entrance. We kept following him until we reached the hall that housed the door leading to the courtyard. I stopped Elias. We're not supposed to go in there. The guy at the counter said the owner doesn't like it. That's okay. We'll just go in and out really quickly. Ashlyn and I found it earlier, but didn't get time to come check it out. Well, we've seen it. There's nothing special, and it's late. We won't be able to see very well, and someone could get hurt. Nobody will get hurt. Come on, let's go. I don't like this kid. I don't like him either. I didn't want to just let them go in by themselves, just in case something did happen. Do it. Fuck him. Let him go. So I went with them, despite the reluctant looks from my brother and sister. Elias got to the door first. He opened it and held for everyone else. We all walked out into the courtyard and waited for him to join us. It was probably around eight, so the sun was just barely out. I can tell you... With certainty, there was just enough light to see the old door was wide open. Elias noticed it too. What's in there? He asked, pointing to the previously inaccessible doorway. W we don't, we don't know. It wasn't open before. Oh, let's go take a look. I don't think that's a good idea, Elias, said his little sister Ashlyn, finally speaking for the first time. She was tugging at his sleeve. Stop being a baby. It'll only take a second. Tears began to well up in her eyes. Don't call me a baby, she said softly. Then come with me, snapped Elias. It would seem he wasn't very kind to his younger sibling. Without another word, Ashlyn began following her brother to the open door. I went as well, but I hand held my hand up to signal for my brother and sister to stay back. I didn't want them to be blamed for anything that might happen upon entering the closed-off section of the hotel. Elias reached the door and went inside without so much of an inkling of caution. Ashlyn was closely behind, and I approached with far more trepidation. 
Upon entering, we were met by a short hallway straight ahead with a small staircase butted up against the right wall. To the left was another hallway, but it was more of a nook because it ended with what looked to be a closet. I tried flipping, flipping a dusty light switch next to me and was surprised to see an extremely dim orange glow emanating from a few lanterns on the wall. The light illuminated peeling, dull gray wallpaper with flowery paint patterns that crawled halfway down the wall before meeting an equally old wood paneling. To me, it seemed the place was only home to spiders as there were countless webs adorning every solitary and otherwise visible corner. Wherever the stairs led, it must have had a different switch because there wasn't any lights on up there. I found it odd that the floor had numerous gouges right near the door as if something had been trying to get out, and each of the four doors in the hallway did not have knobs. The mystery of the missing knobs was short-lived because a quick glance to the hallway floor revealed all four, covered in rust. Elias surveyed the room and smiled deviously. Wow, it's so old. Yeah, now that we've seen it, can we leave? I asked, trying not to go further into the section. I turned to see my siblings, siblings standing next to the fountain. It was good they had listened to me. We just got here. Let's explore a little bit, demanded Elias. Go right ahead. I'm staying right here. What are you, a coward? I just don't like this place. So you're scared? No, Elias. I'm just normal. Well, not wanting to explore a cool old place like this is not normal to me, he said harshly. Whatever you say. He walked further into the hallway and stopped in front of one of the doors. Then he looked down and reached for one of the knobs. Hey, the floor here is darker than the rest, he said. That's great, I said quickly. Ashlyn stayed near me while her brother explored. But something about the air, perhaps it was even a gut feeling, felt off. Wrong, even. Come over here, requested Elias while poking one of the knobs with his finger. Fine, but I'm not staying over there. I huffed and marched toward him. Then all of it made sense. The doorknobs weren't rusty. They were bloody. What? They were covered in dried blood. A lot of it, too. The dark stains spread from the base of each door onto portions of the wood paneling of the walls. At that moment, I had another epiphany. What if the reason this section was closed off was because of some horrific crime that happened within? Time suddenly seemed to slow down as the door right behind Elias opened up. What? Ashlyn screamed and I stood there in shock as a long arm covered in a papery substance emerged. Elias didn't react fast enough and neither did I. Another arm protruded from the dark hole from the dark holding. Ah, sorry. Another arm protruded from the dark holding an old pair of scissors. The way it held them was odd as well. It was a thumb in one loop and its middle finger in the other. The index finger was directly between the blades. And then I saw its face. The same face that still haunts me to this day. Paper from the nose up, but that wasn't the part covered by paper that sticks with me. Its mouth, it was like that of a leech with several rows of incredibly sharp teeth in a circle-like fashion. The pulsating maw created a plethora of uncomfortable noises that made my skin crawl even now just thinking about them. However, 
Another arm suddenly appeared, and then another, and they kept appearing until I counted at least nine. Jesus. And each one of them held a different item, apart from the first one which held nothing. But all the time I spent focusing on the terrible entity before me should have been spent paying attention to what it was actually doing. For in the blink of an eye, the creature jammed the scissors into Elias's back. He screamed for only a moment because the creature silenced him with a paper mouth cover. I haven't ever been able to forget the look of his eyes as they stared at me, searching for help where I could not give it. Then the creature receded into the dark room beyond the doorway. Ashlyn fainted from fear, and I didn't know what else to do. The only thing that came to mind was getting my parents. So I ran over to Ashlyn, picked her up to carry her out of there. Could you imagine what it's like as a child to even see such a thing in some sort of media form, let alone in person? I have to be honest, as I think about it now, I'm not sure how I even managed to keep myself together. There were so many horrendous sounds stemming from that room. The walls must have been terribly thin because it was incredibly loud. I was just about to reach the doorway when Ashlyn closed it unexpectedly. I couldn't really try to open it since I was carrying her, and even though she was younger than me, she was heavy. I wasn't going to leave her there for that thing, but now I wasn't sure if I'd have a choice. The door housing the creature slowly creaked open, and I knew it was coming to claim us next. I didn't have time to think about what I was going to do. Instead, I ran down the hallway with the closet at the end, pushed the shutter door open. I wasn't able to see the creature coming out from the door there, but Ashlyn and I simply needed a place to hide. I carried her in, set her down on the floor, and then slid the door shut as quietly as possible. The door with one of those flimsy ones on wheels that have shutter gaps that you can see in and out of was the door of the closet. Okay. The sun had to have fully set at that point, which only made it more difficult to see anything. The lamps on the walls only gave a few feet of visibility, if even that. I still kept peering through between the shutter gaps at the corner, just waiting for any sign of that thing. And I didn't have to wait long. In almost as short of a time it takes to blink, the entire hallway that led to the closet was covered end to end with the creature's body. Even though the light was low, I could see that it was splattered in blood. The creature seemed to be sniffing air, and every so often I heard various chattering noises coming from it. Ashlyn began to stir. She was groaning, and I knew that if she made even so much as a loud sigh, that thing would find us. And so far, it didn't seem to know. I leaned down, gently put my hand over her mouth before whispering to her, Please be quiet. I'm going to get us out of here, but neither of us will get out if you make a noise. She didn't say anything, and I couldn't see her eyes, but she tapped my hand softly, which was enough for me to know she understood. I released my hand and returned, peering through the gaps. Unfortunately, the creature was still scanning the hall, but I couldn't understand how it saw anything at all, given that it didn't seem to have eyes. Not visible ones, anyways. The creature continued to suspend and stretch itself across the entire hallway, and I began to wonder if it was simply waiting for us to emerge. Perhaps it already knew we were in here, but wanted to offer the false sense of safety. I can tell you with absolute certainty that I felt everything but safe, and all I wanted was it for it to go somewhere else, just for a minute, just for enough time to get out. Ashen grabbed onto my arm and held tightly. She was scared, and so was I. 
but her brother wasn't there anymore, and I knew she was relying on me for protection, so I tried not to show my fear. Finally, we got our chance. I'm not sure what it was, but something made a noise somewhere else in the area, and the creature immediately scurried off to investigate. I grabbed Ashlyn's hand and flung the closet door open. It sounded like the creature was attacking, attacking something nearby, which made it easier for us to slip unnoticed. My heart was racing, I was drenched in sweat, and my breathing was quick. Ashlyn was squeezing my hand as hard as she could, and her grip only tightened the closer we got to the door to the, hall, the, door to the courtyard. We swiftly reached the door, and I opened it. The moment the night air invaded the section, I heard stumbling and thumping behind us. I pushed Ashlyn through the doorway and turned around to face the abandoned halls. And there, I was met face to face with the creature. It had descended upon me with fierce intent and was surely furious with having its door opened. Or perhaps it was thankful. I'm not sure. Whatever the case may be, I took a step back and slammed the door shut, sealing us from the creature, although at the time I didn't know how much protection a simple door like that would actually provide. It must have done the trick, though, because nothing further happened, and we seemed safe. All sound dissipated except for the quiet chirping of insects and the faint cascading of water from the fountain. My siblings were horrified. They must have seen what happened up until the door closed for the first time. I'm fairly certain they were in shock, like Ashlyn was. She couldn't speak or, and wouldn't respond to me when I tried to talk to her. Poor girl, I wasn't able to help her with in any meaningful way, or rather, not the way she needed. And then the yelling came. The righteous fury I call my mother was nearly screaming our names. I had no idea what I would tell her, what we would tell Ashlyn's parents, but I landed on the truth, even if they didn't believe me. My mother came storming through the door leading into the courtyard and almost tripped over a stray stone. That only made her angrier. When she reached us, she grabbed my arm with a vice grip. Obviously, I protested, but her immediate abrasive shh shut me right up. She brought me before two unfamiliar people, and it only took a couple of seconds to realize that they were Elias and Ashlyn's parents. When only the latter was present, they turned their attention away from me. Ashlyn was standing next to my sister like a statue with wide, traumatized eyes that showcased the inability to come to terms with what had happened. I didn't blame her because I wasn't well either. I'm still not well. Her father knelt by her side and asked, Sweetie, where's your brother? She didn't respond, so he turned back to me. Where's our son? Something took him, I said quietly. Although I was good with English, I did not have the right words for that moment. What do you mean, something? asked his mother, confused. In the other section of the hotel, there was something in there, and it took Elias. My mom looked at my siblings, who were trembling, and asked, is that true? They both nodded without saying a word. The receptionist appeared and was absolutely seething with anger. He must have overheard the conversation and promptly interjected himself only to express the disdain for children and his I warned you attitude. Elias and Ashlyn's parents called the police. I remember sitting in the hallway talking to an incredibly nice officer who asked me simple questions, ones that I could actually answer. I told her everything the best I could. She seemed skeptical, who wouldn't be, but she was also listening intently. I heard, I felt heard, and that's all that mattered. Anyway, the police refused to listen to the receptionist's pleas of leaving that section of the hotel alone. They went in with a small team, and after only a couple of minutes, I heard gunshots. Shortly thereafter, one of the officers emerged, covered in blood, and seemingly shook to the core. 
they began to tear into the receptionist and honestly i can't remember what they said because it was such a terrifying experience but i do know that it had to do with the creature from what i gathered the police killed the creature they found elias dead in the room it came out of with his face missing when they proceeded to explore the upstairs, I overheard, I think I overheard one of the returning officers say something about numerous doll-like bodies suspended from the ceiling. Another would say they used to be alive. While Ashlyn's parents were heartbroken and rightfully stricken with grief, they thanked me for saving their daughter. I didn't really know how to react or respond, so I simply said, you're welcome. It was a long night with a lot of people going back and forth throughout the hotel. They tore down walls, busted down doors, and asked a lot of questions. By the time the morning came, we were told to go to a different hotel, which the police department kindly paid for. My mother held the three of us almost the whole night after learning what happened, and ever since then, she became a different person. She was humbler and far quieter. For the sake of privacy, the name of the hotel and everyone involved have either been changed or excluded. I'm not telling anyone not to visit Lake, Lake Tahoe. I just thought it was important to share this experience. Be mindful of the places you stay while traveling. You never know what could be lurking in your very room. Fuck that. What? Yep. Nope. Yep. Nope. Nope. And nope. Yep. That's a no for me, dog. What the? First off couple things i want to start out with saying one fuck that mom yeah literally such a bitch wouldn't even okay wouldn't even believe her kids but two and this is my more important point elias kind of did it to himself he did everyone else was like no they warned him i have a really hard time feeling bad for elias i feel bad for his sister i feel bad for the other kids that saw it yeah i feel really bad for his sister gee Zus. That was a good fucking story. I wasn't yeah. expecting the twist of, of it being an actual monster at the end. I thought it was going to be a thing like they were so scared and then like it was a human that just like was wearing a mask. That's fucking insane. Yep. Fuck. Yep. Maybe I should have let you go second. I don't know how I'm going to follow that one. God <laughs> damn. Oh man, that is so fucking good. All right. Fuck, I guess I got to go now. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> This one is called, It's Outside the Tent. And this is also by me. <clears throat> Storytelling voice. Alright. I'd been working myself to the bone. So I decided to take a week to myself. I requested off from work and went out to my family's land. Just set up a small tent. Got a nice little fire pit set up. You know, a lawn chair. Got a cooler of beer, food, grill. All the fun stuff. Now, I want to preface by saying the area that I'm from does not have bears, so I wasn't too concerned about putting anything in the tree or, like, keeping it out of the campsite, whatever. So I just left it outside the tent for the most part. I, when I first got there and I was, like, splitting everything up, I decided what I wanted to keep in the tent and what I wanted to keep out. And to give you guys an idea of how small this tent was, I'm about five foot seven to 5'8 on a good day. This isn't about me. Don't shake your head. It's a story <laughs> oh, I Oh, I know. Don't shake your head. Okay, anyways. I'm about five foot seven to five foot eight on a good day. But this tent barely had enough room for me, my sleeping bag, and my water bottle. So I didn't really have too much room in there. So the first night kind of winds down. I'm sitting in the lawn chair overlooking this small little lake that's there. And I thought I see something, someone fishing on the other side. I rub my eyes, look back, nothing's there. I was like, tired, it's been a stressful week. I just need some sleep. 
No one else is out here. It's my family's land. Like, there's no one around for miles. So I go to sleep. Sleep. I mean, I was out. I was knocked out. Woke up the next day, ready to start my first full day. I go out, fry myself up some breakfast on the grill, decide I'm going to catch my dinner. So I prepare for a long day of fishing. And then I noticed my chairs moved. I had it right next to the door of my tent, but now it's facing the door of my tent on the other side of my fire pit. Gross. Whatever. I didn't think too much of it. Grab my pole, grab my chair, grab the bait, go out, start fishing that small pond. Now I'm just sitting there fishing, having a few beers. And then I look up and I swear I see someone fishing again, but they're closer. I set my beer down to say something when I look back up. Gone again. Don't think anything of it. I go back to fishing and I look down. My reflection looks weird. It's almost like staring at me. Not just back at me, but at me. Mm. And I'm staring at it for a bit. And I don't know if it was the ripple of the water or the jerking of my pole catching on something. But before I looked up to reel it in, I could have swore just for a second and smiled at me. So anyways, I shake that off, brush it off as me just seeing things, getting overly excited when I'm reeling in the fish. So I reel in the fish, get it up do the, all the things, you know, head back to my campsite. About this point, I'd been fishing about four or five hours, so you know, about time for me to start grilling up. So I'm frying the fish, I'm frying the fish, and then I feel like I hear someone walking in the grass behind me. Not like an animal, but I mean, very noticeably, it's two steps, like two feet. Like, I turn around quick, and I hear a noise, like something ducked down, but I don't see anything there. Now, mind you, I'm not out here unarmed. I do have a pistol on me. So I put one in the chamber of my pistol and I have it cocked and just next to me, just ready in case. Nothing really happens the rest of the night. I go to bed, kind of hard for me to fall asleep, but silent, just fell asleep to the sounds of nature. Day three rolls around and I get up, get out and wait, what the fuck? My cooler is wide open. My, my beer is scattered on the ground, but the food packages aren't torn into, so it wasn't an animal. The, the ice is still in there. It wasn't knocked over. It's just open. So I'm freaking out. I'm nervous. Pick up my beer. Decide, you know what, maybe I'll store the cooler somewhere else. So I decide I'll do the tree trick tonight. Mm-hmm. So just go about my day, do everything normal. Nothing really weird happened again day three. Now day four. Day four is where it takes a turn. I wake up in the morning and the, the cooler's on the ground. But I didn't hear it fall last night. And the rope wasn't cut. The rope wasn't chewed through. Someone untied my knot. At this point, I'm freaking out. I decide, you know what? I've left it outside the tent. I've left my cooler outside the tent. I've left my chair outside the tent. I don't fucking like this. They're going to go inside with me tonight. So I start packing them up and I put them inside the tent. And I look around. I'm like, well, something has to be outside the tent. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think of what I can put out there. I was like, you know what? I'll just leave the lantern out here. Mm -hmm. Because I got my phone light. Cool. So I put the lantern out there. And it's an electric lantern. It's not one of those fire ones. So I was just going to leave it on so I can kind of see. And then around 11 p.m. to midnight, I hear the steps again. And then I, 
I see a shadow pass in front of the light. What the fuck is that? I set up. I grab my gun with a shaking hand and yell, I, 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 I have a gun! You better leave! Silence. Then I hear on the side of my tent, someone dragging their finger across it. And then I see the shadow of a human hand pressing in on my tent. I scream and I send around outside the tent. Nothing. Then I hear footsteps again. They're walking towards the tent door. What the fuck is he doing? I quickly reload my gun and shoot again. Nothing. Then I hear it. Zip. The zipper starts opening. And boom! In pops a guy with my face. Oh, fuck you. No. I scream. No, no, no. I scream, unload my gun, and then I pass out from fear. I wake up the next day praying it was just a dream. But the breeze coming through my open tent flap told me otherwise. I said, fuck it. I packed up everything I could carry. I didn't care about the bigger things. I left my fire pit. I left my chair. I grabbed my cooler, my tent, and I left. But here's the hard part. Ever since that day, I still hear a ghostly voice in my ear going, why'd you do that? Then I see a ghostly apparition following me places. And this has been going on for months. So finally I'd had enough. And I turned the next time I saw that ghost bastard and I yelled, I don't give a fuck if I do look like you. I don't have your body. You know where the fuck that is outside the tent where I left it. The end. No. The end. (laughs) No, thank you. Right? That one got me. That was short, simple, to the point, but fuck that guy. Yeah, right? Oh my gosh. It sucks when they have your face! Right? I don't know what could be worse coming through a door than my own face. Because, bitch, that's mine! Right? That's mine! So how do you feel about that? I don't want to go to work. Are you unsettled? Yes. So you might say that that was scary as fuck. I've been Nick. Thank you guys for joining us. And I am Joe. We will see you guys next week for another episode. Bye. Bye.